Hello and welcome to another episode of Cripple Stump. And as per usual, we have another guest for you today. So over to you, guest, to introduce yourself. Thanks, Shabazz. Yeah, my name is Ian Barber. I'm a journalist at ITV Granada Reports, uh, and I'm from Manchester. So uh, just to kick us off then, Ian, what got you into uh, journalism? Well, I went around the houses, really. It took me quite a while to fall into the industry that I'm now working in. Um, I dropped out of college when I was younger to go and play in a band and be a musician uh, and tour and and do all that stuff, which was fantastic. But obviously, I dropped out of education. And then when the band finished, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do next. But one thing I was doing at that time was interviewing um, artists, musicians, bands uh, for like music magazines. And I really enjoyed it. And I thought, you know what? I was always good at English at school as well. So why don't I look at potentially doing journalism? So I had to redo my A-levels from home, but eventually got, I got into university to study journalism at Sheffield. And then I went on to do a broadcast journalism degree in Cardiff after that, because I realized that I really liked the TV and the radio stuff that I did at uni. Uh, and then I kind of freelanced for a bit, BBC, Reuters, different companies, and then ended up at ITV. What do you think is one of the common misconceptions of journalism that people out there don't really know know about or think about? I think at the moment what annoys me is people who think, you know, who use the terms mainstream media, scum media, fake news, and people, a lot of people think, oh, it's just one big conspiracy, the media lie to us, the media do this. And what my experience of that is that isn't the case. You know, we have really hardworking people who want to get the truth out there. Uh, and that's just not the case at all. You know, my partner works for the BBC and she hears that a lot as well. And yes, both kind of companies have got things wrong with them. But there are, in my experiences, there aren't people who are kind of sitting there trying to lie to the public. You know, I can't speak for the tabloid press, but in terms of broadcast press, that I would say that's a misconception. You know, we, we're governed by Ofcom. We have to follow the rules. You know, we're not part of a big conspiracy theory. And do you think that actually makes your job harder? Yeah, of course it does, yeah, because people uh, don't want to talk to us. You know, if you if you kind of look at what some people are saying on Twitter and social media, you're going to start thinking, oh, my God, the, the press are all disgusting. They're all going to lie. They're all going to distort my story. We're not going to talk to them. You know, and we need people to talk to us, otherwise we can't do the job, can we? Yeah. And as a journalist, what do you think of platforms such as Twitter? That's great. Obviously, it's great because people can get the story straight out there. You know, a lot of times we will see someone tweeting about something on, on Twitter mm-hmm. and we can go straight to them and say, right, what's the story? And we can find it out that way. You know, people can get their own stories out more. And also you can get feedback, good and bad from people, from viewers, can't you? You can say, oh, we really like that. Oh, we really didn't like that. You know, you said something incorrect there. So it gives you a much more kind of a quicker way of getting feedback from, from the audiences as well. But obviously Twitter, people can put whatever they want on there yeah. and it is unchecked. So you can get obviously a lot of incorrect reporting, fake news. So you have to be really careful when you're a journalist with Twitter and other social media. So uh, going back to your music, why, why didn't you go into like, more music journalism? I'd love to, but I think it's unfortunately dying a bit of a death. I mean, a lot of the magazines I used to uh, read when I was younger now don't exist in a printed form. They're just online. 
a lot of those jobs have gone. There's just, I mean, the music industry in itself is really difficult to get into, but music journalism is a dying art, unfortunately. There's just, mm. there, there isn't the jobs there. I'd, mm. I think I'd love to still do it, but if I did it, it'd be like in my free time, you know, on pay. Yeah. So you don't think it's like a viable career path? No, I, I think if you're a young person coming up into journalism now and you want to work in the music press, yeah, you have to think, about, think very carefully about that and also expand... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, there, you know, there are still magazines across all different genres that sell well, but yeah. with music, there's very few now, especially for while I like very extreme music. I like metal and hardcore and rock. So for me, there wasn't that many <laughs> knocking about. What What was the name of your band? It was called Blueprints Who Were Downfall. And uh, was that anything to do with the system of a down? It wasn't, but it's very similar sort of music. That yeah. they were one of the bands that I was really influenced by yeah. when I was a kid because they were always on the music TV channels that I used to watch when I used to come yeah. up from school. So yeah, that's that's my sort of music. But those days feel like a long time ago now. <laughs> and in terms of like uh, writing lyrics and writing songs, did you used to enjoy that? Or yeah, I still do. Still love writing music. You know, I'm still in. I've been in bands all my life, and I still play music. I've never really been one to write lyrics, but I love writing songs. Yeah. You know, writing a writing a piece on the guitar, then writing a secondary line over that, and writing yeah. the melody. I just I actually find it really relaxing, and you can pass hours sat in the attic in you know in my house just playing guitar and writing another line, and then putting some drums over it. It's really yeah. kind of therapeutic. Yeah. And uh, from the people you work with, do you find that some of them are really into music as well? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, a lot of them are into into bands and go to gigs and stuff. A few of them are also in bands and play the same instrument as me. So I think you're always going to find creative people, aren't you, in, yeah, a, in yeah. an industry like mine? You know, who like music, art, acting, you know, whatever it is. I think people like multi-platform <clears throat> stuff. Yeah, and how do you keep? Obviously, music is one of them for you, but how do you keep like positive and how do you keep uh, clear-headed, really, you know? Because you must have to deal with a lot of, like, practical stuff and a lot of, like, time pressures and stuff like that. And you must always feel like banging your head against a brick wall, you know? So I just yeah. wanted to know from your point of view, somebody who's working in the industry, how do you live as a person with, with all those pressures? Because when I'm saying it, it seems a very high-pressure situation. It is. It's really difficult. And, you know, we're a small team. We don't have as many resources as maybe the BBC does, for example. Yeah. So we're often we're working just as hard, if not harder, than, than everyone else. Yeah. So you can do a full day, 11 hours, barely leave your desk, barely even have time to go and get your lunch. And then obviously, as you say, you come home and your head's completely fried and you think, God, what? how am I going to get out of this? It's yeah. really difficult. For me, uh, you know, I have dogs. So I like going out walking, taking the dogs out. I just like getting out into the fresh air. I think that's massively important. So we, I had a day off with my partner yesterday and we went for just a, a big walk up in Hayfield in the countryside just to get away from it. And especially at the moment with the news being what it is, like, as you know, like, yeah. it's, it's depressing a lot at the moment. You know, we've, we've gone from a pandemic into a war and yeah. all the other stuff that's happened outside of that that's maybe not getting reported as much as it should. It's, it's, it gets you down. It does get you down, so you need to try and stay positive. And 
don't say this the wrong way, but it makes me feel happy that it gets you down because yeah. in the sense that I don't feel like I'm alone in feeling like that. You know what I mean? So if, that's if why you're not affected by it. If you're not affected by it, then you're not. You don't care enough, do you? Do you know what I mean? You can't just switch off and just say, oh, yeah, none of this applies to me. Of course it does, especially with the pandemic. I think that's obviously been a great leveler for everyone. Yeah. That's a story that's affected every single person. Right. And you can't just sit there and go, oh, well, even if this particular story doesn't affect me, then I don't care. Yeah. Yeah, so... so the, the, and, I, and I'm just asking because, A, because I'm nosy, and B, because, uh, you know, hopefully the... The other side of it is that it will hopefully help other people out there when they hear it and mm. they know that because usually when people hear about TV or news, I don't know whether this is still the case now, but still people have a romantic idea of like what these things are. You know, like when I tell them I'm a filmmaker, people have a romantic notion in their head that, you know, you, you know. Yeah, of course they do. And they'll, they'll imagine you with like a director's chair on a big yeah. film set and stuff. And like for us, people think about news crews and they, you know, they, they like back in the day, so regional news at ITV, before it went into a kind of centralized ITV version, every region would have a different TV company that had millions of pounds. Some regions used to fly helicopters to between bases to deliver yeah. tapes. That's how much money was in it. And now there isn't. Yeah. So <laughs> we're now doing a hell of a lot of work, of work with not many people. So yeah. what you see on your telly for us like, at six o'clock every night, like blood, sweat, and tears have gone into that. You know, sometimes yeah. with like one cameraman and like three reporters, so yeah. it's not all glamour. Yeah, and you know, it's good for somebody like me to hear this because, as well, just somebody like me, because I'm thinking, well, why are you covering this story, this story? And uh, when, but when you think about it practically, it's like, how these four bunch of people are going to be able to cover all these different strands and different stories. Exactly. And then you think about all the emails we get on a daily basis. Yeah. You know, our inbox is just like firing all day with everyone. Yeah. And everyone's story is massively important to them. Yeah. You've got to remember that. Yeah. And just because we haven't been able to do it that day doesn't mean we don't care. It no. just means that, you know, we've got 75% of our program planned because that's kind of where we have to work to stay on air, yeah. which gives us a wriggle room to do what's happening on the day. So like, if anyone's thinking, oh God, the media just don't care about me and my story. It's not that we don't care. We just, we're trying our best. <laughs> and some people might say, oh, you know, cry me a river, you know, everyone's short staffed. And I get that. But that the, it's the practicalities, like you say, like if you've only got four people, you can't cover everything as no. much as you do. And, and, you know, sometimes, you know, there's a certain, I don't know how to term it, but you mm. know when certain people see a badge, like ITV, BBC, NHS, or Sky, or anybody like that, they just think, and maybe it's no fashion view, but no, but maybe they just see that badge and think, oh, they must have millions of resources. And, yeah. You know, uh, and, you know, well, why can't they? If they can't cover it, nobody can, you know? <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you a story. I was once covering an election night count for ITV yeah. in Bury. And uh, I had all the equipment to cover it myself. So I went in with my camera kit and my live view, which feeds back the pictures, you know, yeah. all big rucksack on. And then I look over and the BBC have got about eight people there. So you've yeah. got, you know, like one reporter, one producer, yeah. two cameramen, one web editor, and then all the technical. I was just like, 
hold on a minute, how's this fair? Because yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to provide the same products as them, but yeah. I'm just on my own. Yeah. So you know. <laughs> It doesn't just because you see an ITV badge doesn't mean that you know we have millions of pounds and, and resources. So. Yeah, but do you get what I mean? People think of it like that. Mm, of course they do because it's a worldwide brand that you're used to seeing. Of yeah. course you're going to think that, aren't you? Yeah. So it's like it's really difficult. Mm. And another, another aspect of you I wanted to touch on because you're northern mm. and I wanted to get your views on getting into the industry, being a northerner. You know. Is it a disadvantage or is that over, overplayed or what do you I think? think? It's, I think it's now easier than it used to be. It's a, I reckon if I'd have come into this career maybe 20 years earlier, I'd have struggled. Yeah. However, obviously, as you know, the BBC moved up some of its operations to uh, Media City yeah. from London. Not enough, if you ask me. Not enough came up. Uh, but you've got Channel 4 now looking to expand into the north in Leeds. You've got ITN, uh, our network team, who are now recruiting massively across the north. So it's getting better. It, in terms of actually getting into the industry, I never felt like being in Northern it held me back. But what I will say is when I first came in, I was a bit not, I was wary of my accent holding me back. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. I was trying to, you know, when you, you you kind of put on a voice, it's not really yours. I'm not, I, wasn't, no. you know, I wasn't trying to speak like the Queen, but at the same time, no. like, I'd sort of modify my accent a bit when I yeah. did my first few freelance roles. And yeah. you shouldn't have to. You totally shouldn't have to. Um, so I think it's getting better. And I think there are more pathways for people to get in now. But I went to the, I went the traditional route. So I, I went to uni and did three years of undergrad and a year of postgrad. Yeah. I was lucky enough that my parents helped me with the postgrad. Some people's parents obviously wouldn't be able to. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I was privileged and I had to step up. But once I got that, once I got into the industry, I had to like kind of fight for my job. Basically, I had to do, I had to do work for no money at first. You know, yeah. when you do, they call them trial shifts. Yeah. You, uh, yeah. Just up, turn up and do it full days work and go, oh yeah, you're all right, you. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you, you, should, you should owe me a day's work there, really. Yeah. Um, so, you know, everyone has to do that. But yeah, to answer your question, I think it is getting better and I think people should be hopeful. I don't think you should put anyone off if you're from the North at all. Yeah. Because one of the aspects for me that I've come across and heard about over the years is, you know, the whole aspect of being runners and things like that. And like being a disabled person without playing out the obvious, you know, depending on your disability, you literally can't do that as a practical thing. So, and and couple that with, maybe not being from a affluent background or whatever where where your parents or whatever can support you. Think about it from a disabled person's point of view. You really can't do that job, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Just to start off, you know, whether you can actually do the job or not, once you get there is another matter. But just to, what I'm saying is just that entry level thing is just an incredible barrier for disabled people especially i agree and nothing winds me up more than when i see these jobs advertised and it's like there's no payment yeah it's voluntary like that shouldn't be the how why do you why should people have to do that because then if they're doing that then they're gonna have to think about right well when this job finishes i'm gonna have to go and work all night yeah where where, where's that money coming from it just shouldn't it shouldn't happen under any not in this day and age in this society if you ask me and and we we talk about representation 
on screen and behind the screen. But I don't, like I was saying when I did that video for you guys, mm. that I don't think you can you can solve that problem without solving that, you know, how are you going to get people into, into those roles? Because you can't just have representation for representation sake. Yeah. You have to, there has to be a route for people to get in there. And that will be reflected in the, the programs and the stories you can tell because you'll have a wide range of of backgrounds and people to yeah. draw on their I, experiences. I, I think that's something that ITV has started to pick up on recently, yeah. but obviously it wasn't quick enough. So now I think we're kind of trying to play catch up on that sense. You know, we've got our traineeship, which this year is um, focused on people with disabilities. You know, yeah. we've got um, the way in which we write our job adverts now we put inclusion and diversity at the heart of it and we are seeing people from more backgrounds apply because we weren't seeing it before. Because like you said, people think that this career isn't for me. They don't mm. want me, which is not the case. But we didn't make few people feel like they could. And that's yeah. on us. So that's, that is changing. And like you say, you know, you've got to have it behind the camera and you're never going to change that until you change your recruitment policy. And yeah. that, I think that's one of the most important things ITV have done since I've worked here. Yeah. And I, I, I know I'm just... Speaking to you as one person who works there, so I don't expect you to have all the answers, or I don't think you're a spokesperson for them or anything. I'm just having a general conversation mm-hmm. with you that these are the issues that we, we face as a, yeah, as totally. a society, not just me or anybody, just as a group of people, you know. Mm. And so do you think there should be more pathways, maybe specifically for disabled people? Yeah, but it's not for all kinds of disabilities and stuff. And mm. the other major issue is the short-term contracts Yeah. in TV industry. Because when, I, you know, years ago, it used to be like three-month contracts. I don't know whether it's freelance or what, but but that's another barrier because you only do a short... I understand why the short-term contracts, but I'm just saying from a security point of view and a disability point of view, that that's even more harder because I can't go and do a bar job for six mm. months, you mm. know. Or yeah, and I think that still happens. You know, I don't mm. know if it happens more in like the TV, uh, like sort of drama world, but in in the news world. So some of the guys I came out of uni with, they went in on three month contracts, and then maybe mm. it'd be a six month contract, and then it'd be another six month contract. And you know, they aren't living with disabilities, but it was mm. bad enough for them, like. Yeah. I don't know what the answer is with that. I think you just need to show it more faith in people. Yeah, because you you can you don't need to have a disability or come from an ethnic background to be able to see the problem there, right? Of course. Yeah, yeah. You know, of course. It's quite obvious the problem, and I hear about initiatives and things, but I said to somebody before, everybody talks about initiatives. But we need action and we need, there needs to be really uh, some proper thinking done by the people who can to think about the actual problem, the actual practical problem, which is the funding and being able to do those jobs. Do you know what I'm saying? Have you, have you ever found that an employer would offer a short-term contract because someone is disabled? Have you ever come across that? Yeah. Because they can test them out, you know? That's what I'm thinking, yeah. It's so wrong. 
So and then, and then, as the, as the disabled person, you feel the pressure. Yeah. yeah. Also, because yeah. you got to perform. You got yeah, to put the rabbit out of your ass. Exactly. And people are going to feel under pressure, stressed, and then you're not necessarily going to get the best performance out of them. Yeah. It's just counterproductive. It's just, and the reason why I'm mentioning all this is because it, it feed it has a trickle down effect on onto the actual what you see on screen, you know. But the infrastructure has to be there behind the scenes for the quality of the stuff to be uh, on screen. You understand what I'm saying? Of course it does. Of course it does. And also. You know, we need our staff to be from different backgrounds. We need that intuition, yeah. that knowledge, because otherwise, I think like you know, I think like you said to me when we when we did an interview previously. Oh well, you know, you said to my colleague, you know, you're not gonna why 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 do we need diversity panels? It's because we don't have the staff in the building, do we, with the knowledge? Because no. we're asking you for help, which is yeah. the right thing to do because we don't have it. But why are we in that position in the first place? Because we don't have it. For example, I can't tell you what a blind person goes through. Maybe I'll have, I'll have a bit more of an idea, but I don't. I don't really know. So I can't say and say to you, oh, this is what a blind person goes through, or this is what a person with arthritis goes through, because I yeah. just don't have that lived experience. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And it's, yeah. and it's unfair for, for you to have to think, or we need to do more of this on the ground floor, but people above you or above your pay grade are making these decisions that make your life a lot harder because then you have to speak to people like me and say, well, we can only do what we can do. And that, that to some people might seem like fobbing people off, but that is the reality of the situation. Mm. Yeah, we can only do what we do. You know what I mean? Like we, as a, you know, we're a small team. We, um, we're not part, well, we are part of ITV, but we work very much internally away from the big picture. So we yeah. can, we can run our own diversity panel. You know, we can make our own choices in that sense. So we do the best we can possibly do. Um, but there's always more work to be done. And one thing I wanted to ask you about, and I, because I, I, I've only just started looking into the, you know, because you work for Good Hour TV, right? Mm. Uh, and the one thing I, when I stopped, stopped and thought about it, the one thing that makes your job really that much harder is when you have like a, an ethos or you have to have a northwest angle. That must make things a lot, a, very hard, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's essentially what we are, you know, that we are a news service for the Northwest. You know, yeah. if you want a more, uh, well, obviously the national news, you go to ITV News, which is on after us in the evening, but our focus is the Northwest because yeah. people want that. People want to know what's happening around the corner or in their city or, you know, down the road. But it does limit us at the same time. So, you know, you've been in meetings where we've talked about it in the past where we've said, oh, well, we couldn't quite do that story because we didn't have someone saying that from the Northwest. Yeah. And I understand from the outside that can be frustrating because you're just like, well, there's still a story there. You just haven't found yeah. the right person yet. And that is the case. But that's the job. That's the challenge. So it can be hard, but it can also be easy because it can focus you. You know, yeah, yeah. We're, we're looking at our, our patch, which, you know, runs down to, you know, bottom of Cheshire, runs to the top of uh, Cumbria. So... Like, it, 
it can be it can be hard, but I think with providing a valuable service, and I think even now the viewing figures that we get show that people are still interested. Some people might think of regional news as a bit of an old school type thing, especially now with like social media and stuff. But there is still a desire there, and I think a lot of people from the northwest still tune in at six yeah. o'clock, uh, ready to get their local news for the day. Um, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier about trust in the media, and do you think? Uh, that is something that really needs to be worked on because because it comes when you're going when you're working in a small pool like like relatively the northwest and you've only got a limited number of people you can you can speak to and when they don't trust the media that would make your job even hard harder isn't that right of course it is massively important but what i would say is the, the pandemic, for example, our viewing figures were higher than they've been for years yeah. because people came to us because they trusted us and because they thought they will tell us what's happening. You know, yeah. there's so much white noise on in social media, on Facebook, people down, people down the pub saying, oh, yeah, you know, everyone, everyone was suddenly an expert on vaccines, weren't they? Everyone was suddenly yeah. an expert on face masks. So there really was a, a kind of a gap for us to jump back in and say, do you know what? We're trusted. You know, we've been here all your lives. If you know, yeah. if you're of a certain age, we've been broadcasting every day and we're going to bring you the exact news, what you need to know about this pandemic every night. So we yeah. saw our viewing figures kind of climb throughout that period. And I think that did instill quite a lot of trust. Maybe mm-hmm. people have kind of stopped trusting us who came back to us potentially. So, you know, it's in our interest that we keep those viewers. But yeah, trust is massively important. Without it, you can't really do anything. Yeah, because we talk about all these diversity initiatives and all that, but I sometimes wonder whether there's not as well instead of, but as well as that, whether people that think about these things, whether they should think about having like like some sort of like trust initiatives and trying to get the trust in the media back and yeah well i mean i'd, I'd throw it back to you and say well, you know do you do you trust the media do you tr- what and if you don't which which bits do you and which bits don't you i i, I find it really um i mean i'm aware and stuff and i find it really hard to trust the media because because i see a double standard sometimes you know like with let's just take for example the Ukraine stuff and the Afghan Afghanistan stuff, you know, and the refugees there. I, I see, you know, to me, uh, uh, this is me talking now. I, I just see, uh, to me, it just feels a bit like, uh, in bre- like some racism there, you know. And and when when I've spoken about it before, it makes me made me makes me feel bad because. I, I'm saying, oh, oh, these Ukrainians don't deserve our support because the Afghanis didn't get it. I'm not saying it's either or. I'm saying it's both, and they both should be equally given prevalence. And I don't disagree with anything you're saying at all. But what I would say is, though, often it can be a reflection of the way society is looking at it. So. You look at the way that people are, you know, doing their collections and getting their lorries filled and driving over to Poland themselves in many cases. Yeah. You know, the people who were giving up their houses for this scheme, yeah. they weren't doing it in the past, were they? They, they didn't do it for the Afghanistan people. So yeah. in a sense, you know, 
the media are reporting what they're seeing. Yeah. Or you could throw it back to me and say, well, that's because you're giving it more coverage. That's that's the thing. It's a balance. Do you see what I mean? And there's all, there's all, but uh, yeah, I do. But there's also the other element of the, of this is proximity, you know, there, because that's on our doorstep, you know, Ukraine and uh, Afghanistan and places that seem logistically far away. So it's a bit more exotic and a bit more, you know. Yeah, I think, I think. It came out, you know, it came up in one of our recent panel meetings that, that you were in. You know, we talked about language that had been used, you know, like third world civilized country. Yeah. When it's because it's in Europe now, everyone's kind of going, oh, that's like you say, that's that's only a few hundred miles away. Yeah. Oh my God, we better start panicking. Whereas yeah. if it's in Africa, if it's in Asia, people are all like, meh, you know, it doesn't affect me. And that's yeah. an attitude we need to fight in it. And I know, and I'm not just saying we all have that sort of attitude with other things, you know. I'm not just saying if everybody has this attitude. I'm saying in our daily lives, we always have, oh, that's far away. That That's happening in London. That doesn't affect us again. So I'm saying I'm part of the problem as well, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying well, I've got the right answer or you've got the right answer. I'm saying... All I'm doing here is having a conversation and raising these topics for other people to get, come up with the answers, really. And yeah, and, you know, it's something that I kind of fed back to our team and everyone, everyone, everyone agrees. And I think people understand that, like, yeah, well, actually, we've done loads on this and we didn't, we hardly did anything on, yeah. you know, refugees yeah. when they came over from Afghanistan and Syria. So, you know, we need to look at ourselves as well. Um, and by the way, I just want to reiterate... That, that it, it warrants having lots of stuff done on it. I'm just say, just saying that. But oh yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it needs to. It's not about what about tree. It's about also this is going on at the same time, you mm. know. And mm. we've got the situation in Yemen. It's been going on for since 2014, and nobody really talks about that. Yeah. And we. We talk about uh, oligarchs, but we don't talk about the Saudi regime, mm. you know, now because we need oil off them. Yeah. You know, so that there is also also that element, of, because we, I'm talking about this because we talk about trust. I'm saying that when, when you know stuff's going on and certain news organizations aren't covering it, for their practical reasons, don't get me wrong, but the fact that they're not covering it and you're just seeing what you're seeing on your TV and then you're thinking, hang on a minute, in your own head, that this stuff's going on, that this isn't getting covered. But I know from a practical point of view, you can only cover certain things, you know? Yeah, of and, course, and, and, and news producers will look at, what's happening and go that's the story everyone cares about today yeah, yeah. so at the moment it's been ukraine hasn't it so you've, yeah. had, you've had full programs dedicated to it but then yeah. as you'll know if you kind of if you watch every night you'll notice that even with a war and the biggest story is ukraine it'll still start to fade out you'll yeah. notice it oh, we're getting slightly less tonight and we're getting slightly less tonight and then before you know it you moved on in a new cycle somewhere else yeah. it's all a cycle it's all a cycle yeah. but what i w- what i wanted to ask you was just going back to trust do you kind of see a difference between broadcast media like us and tabloid presses yeah 
yeah, because that's yeah. what I'm, I was interested in. Because you know, I've never worked in that. Side. No disrespect to anyone who does, but ICOs is very different than that. Yeah, because because I I see the tabloid press as being run by like certain people, and mm. so you with the tabloid press you can certainly see an agenda more clearly. Yeah. Well, whereas with broadcast news, there's obviously still some some agendas somewhere, but it's almost you know it's not as blatant mm. as it is in the tabloid press or whatever you want yeah. to call it. Because that, that's my that's my one of my pet hates when everyone just groups us all in together and no. very very different, very yeah. different. Because the Daily Mail, I don't know whether it still is, but. Is the biggest selling newspaper in the country at yeah. one point, and isn't it the most visited website as well? I'm sure yeah. the website does really well. Yeah, and that's really scary. And mm. stuff like the uh, and what worries me is uh, when papers like the Guardian start having to try and do those kind of stories mm. to like not be swallowed up, you know? Yeah, yeah. And you know that's. That's what worries me about media. That's where my trust issues come in. It's like when the media have to do certain things to survive, you start wondering whether lots of big things are getting missed because everybody's just thinking about survival, which on one yeah. level you can understand, but on another, on another level, maybe they're not deliberately doing it, but some things get put to the side. Yeah. I mean, thankfully for us, we're not having to really worry about that at the moment. Like, yeah. we're news, our news on ITV is doing better than it ever has. You've probably seen that the ITV evening news is now an hour long. So it's yeah. taken up twice as much time. And the, and the soaps, you know, your Curries and Yemadales are even later. That's because yeah. people want to watch news. Um, yeah. So we don't, thankfully don't have to worry about that at the moment. You know, the yeah. demand is there, which I think is good. Because I think, like, going by what you said about trust, I think obviously people... If you're watching us, hopefully you've got trust in us. If you're coming back to us every night, if you thought we were crap, you wouldn't come back, would you? No, no. And the other thing I wanted to ask you was about, you know, you know, because you're on the commercial side of things a little bit, because you mm. ITV have adverts and that. And does that affect your news coverage in any way? No, it doesn't affect us. Uh, it wouldn't, and it would never stop us doing a story. So, but sometimes, you know, we have like we have companies that sponsor our weather, for example. Yeah. If we're doing a story that maybe kind of is a bit weird for them to to then have their sting off the back of it. If they, say, for example, we had a story about a train crash, and our weather was sponsored by TransPennine. Okay. We'd probably drop that sponsorship. Yeah, I get what you mean. We wouldn't be doing it to spare TransPennine any blushes. It might have been nothing to do with them. It's just you wouldn't want to have a story about a train crash and then train sting, you know, of a yeah, train yeah. going through it. So that's the kind of thing where where we have to think about it. But in terms of like ITV's commercial, you know, the revenue that's brought in, it has nothing to do with us. You know, we would never not do a story because ITV you might have a part, a com- um, you know, a partnership with this company, or we might have just sold a lot of advert space to them. And that's not yeah. a thing at all. No, I just thought I ask you because I've got you here, so I just thought I ask you. Because mm. I, I know it in theory, but it's always good to have it from the horse's mouth. Yeah, no, I can very mouth. confidently I, tell you that that is definitely not something you need to worry about. Yeah, and uh, yeah, uh, and how often do you watch the ITV news? Be truthful, love. Uh, do you mean also? Do you mean the network news? Yeah, uh, uh, I just mean you. 
So I, I watch that program as much as I, I probably watch that program three times a week. Maybe there's a couple of times a week where I need to knock off earlier for whatever okay. reason. If, if I'm in the office, I always watch it, obviously, because I'm either producing it or I'm in the news ed chair making sure everything happens. If I'm from home and I can, I tune in after I finish my shift. Not going to say I watch it every single night because like yeah. life sometimes gets in the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Why would but, you? Well, the good thing is about us now, we can we stick the program on our website. So if you do miss it at six o'clock, you can jump on our website and watch the whole thing back for 24 hours. And talking about the national uh, news, do you ever watch that? Yeah, 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 definitely. Especially when you've got like big news that you know you're going to cover in your own regional way. So like with Ukraine, when the Ukraine situation started unfolding well, about a month or so ago now, isn't it? Yeah. You'd be watching it every night because you're thinking, right, looking out for someone from the Northwest. Was that a Northwest accent? You know, what what can network do to help us out? If I'm So if I'm watching it at news at 10, on like a Monday night and I'm producing for Granada Reports on Tuesday, I probably want to watch that program. So I get a head start and say, right, where were ITN yesterday? Whereabouts in Ukraine were they? What, or, or, you know, another story, did they have a really good case study on whatever it is, you know, like an abuse trial? You know, would they, did yeah. they have a Northwest victim? Of course, you want to watch it, don't you? Because you want to know what's going on in the first point. Yeah. Because it's my job to know what's going on. But also... Yeah it can help us with our next day. So it can give us a head start into the next day. So yeah, yeah. I try to watch it as much as I can. And uh, do you, are you, obviously you don't have to go into figures, but do you, do you know if, they obviously have a much bigger budget than you guys, right? Yeah, yeah, they, well, yeah, they have bigger budget because obviously they've got foreign trips to think about. They've yeah. got to send reporters off around the world. So yeah, they've got a bigger budget and they've got more reporters and staff, obviously. Um, yeah. And now they've got more time as well because they're, uh, yeah. even the news is now along, so they've got more time to fill than us. Do you, do you think that time thing will be a short-term thing or do you think... No, I think it'll be, be long-term. I mean, obviously, I imagine the top brass will all kind of look at the figures and that and see how it yeah. goes. But yeah, as far as we're being led to believe, it'll be a permanent thing. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's quite... In terms of filling slots, that's quite a big jump, isn't it, really? It's a big jump. And what they're saying to us is, you know, they want to showcase regional news and regional talent. So the idea is that you'll get more stories on the network news that maybe we'd only covered before. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So there's a story that we've done and applies to a person in the Northwest, but also that that subject can relate. Yeah. Anyone across the country can relate to that. So the idea is that there's a certain slot of that program that gets devoted for that sort of content, which if you work in regional news like I do, that can only be a good thing, can't it, I think. Yeah. And how how has the BBC being in the region helped? Or hindered you? Um, it's not really affected us from a, from my job point of view. I think it's good for the region. Like yeah. it's, it's never going to be bad, is it, if, they, if yeah. a company is going to take a gamble and move stuff up here. But like I said to you earlier, I don't think they moved enough up here when they first came. It yeah. felt half-hearted. It feels like it's getting better now. Like when if you, like I'm on a couple of the BBC jobs alert accounts just from when I was younger, when I was trying to get jobs. So I still see that when jobs come on and it feels like yeah. more are coming on now. But yeah. um, it doesn't like affect us really day to day. Obviously, BBC Northwest and I are competitive, have always been there. Yeah. Now they're at Media City. In the past, they used to be, you know, at the site Oxford Road in Manchester. Yeah. So they've always been there. And obviously, we've always competed against each other. And I do watch their programme occasionally just to see what we've done worse or better. Does, the, <laughs> yeah, does BBC Manchester still exist? Yeah, the Radio Manchester does. Yeah, so Radio Manchester and Media City. Uh, Not the TV channel. 
No, no, it's just well, it's just Northwest Tonight now. No, oh, right. there's no, I don't, I'm not aware of any BBC regional TV channel now. Oh, right, okay. No, that must yeah. be a blast from the past. Yeah, join your age. They, they, they used to be one, yeah, <laughs> yeah. and uh, yeah, but um, yeah, I, I just wondered how, how you thought, if anything, that affected your work, but obviously, it doesn't seem like it has done. Not really, no, no. Um, I think, as I said, yeah, it can only be a good thing. Uh, I'd like to think of myself as like a passionate northerner, especially a passionate Mancunian. So, yeah. those jobs coming up, coming up here can only be good, can't it? I think. <laughs> the only downside is it pushes pushes the prices up of everything. Because I reckon, it does, it does I reckon in the, areas. Ho- the houses <laughs> and all the other things. And of course, it does. Know. Well, you you look at a place like Monson. Yeah. Since uh, the BBC came up here, house price, prices have skyrocketed there because yeah. everyone wants to live near work. Yeah, and then you yeah, look at effect. you look at like the the city stadium and all that, and the regeneration around that, and mm. football and TV and others. But I just think that just that lifts areas, doesn't it? Yeah, of course it does. Uh, and, of course it does. Yeah, uh, it has. Some really good aspects, but it has some really like not really bad, but some gentrification knock-on mm. effects. With, with well, yeah, that's something that I'm really worried about, Manchester, because at, at the moment there's a story about how they want to build um, sort of skyscraper next to the Britain's Protection Pub in the center, oh, right, of Manchester, okay. which has been there, you know, since. Yeah, yeah, Peter yeah. Lair. Um, and I saw the plans on Twitter today and I just thought, oh, for God's sake, like we're just squeezing in these massive glass buildings and just completely dominating what yeah. is real Manchester. And I just think at some point you're going to lose your identity. You're going to lose the reason why people love Manchester in the first place. Yeah, because it's where, a genuine personal worry. Yeah, because where I am in Hume, across, across the way, across the park, now you just see four or five different glass towers. You know, yeah. and all oh, those new ones, but you can see all yeah, them, can't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it just—it's like a wall of glass, and it just worries me, like in terms of gentrification and like that whole aspect of. Yeah, because you know probably that yeah. those those buildings are going to be full of flats that aren't affordable. Yeah, and that in many cases Man- aren't even going to be used. Who, who from Manchester could could really afford that? You know. You know what I mean? So it's get it's getting it's getting close to London now. I lived in London for six months when I worked at ITN, yeah. and uh, I was paying crazy rent, and that was in 2014. So honestly, yeah. God knows what I'd be paying now if I do if I did that now. And when I did when I did the the shooting party, the the show I did for Maverick Television, mm. uh, when we were ma- making our, I was part of a, a group of disabled people making their own films and it was so expensive even then I had to stay in a hostel and the hostel was that 500 quid a week oh you know and <laughs> you, you pay I was getting paid but your pay was only just about covering the YHA hostel you know oh God. so you didn't make any money then <laughs> oh no you're just lucky enough to like li- yeah. live there because it's like and being a disabled person again and getting around in London, just mm. ridiculous. Luckily, yeah. Maverick Television had vehicles for us. But if I had to use 
public transport or the underground or anything. It would be ridiculous. Is it easier than Manchester then? It's a lot easier than Manchester. Yeah, yeah. But, but in terms of London, because with the London underground being so old, there's certain stops where it's accessible to get on, but on the other end, it's like... Can't get off. So yeah. it's like, what's the point of that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because yeah. like, you have to get up a stop earlier to get to your original place. Mm. I suppose that's the benefit of having the Metrolink, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. More accessible. Although I would argue that in other ways it's <laughs> total crap. <laughs> yeah. I, I, without with this podcast, just that leads to real localism and shit. But, yeah. But, <laughs> Apologies uh, for that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I just think the tram, line, the tram is a good thing, but it's another dividing line. It's another gentrification point. Do you know what I mean? It's like... Mm. It's really kind of, although it's great for access and stuff like that, but it's still so expensive for people. Of course, yeah. Of course it is. And that again, that's something that shoots house prices up. Yeah, if you're yeah. on a metro link that gets you into the central Manchester, yeah. you're not going to be able to afford to buy a house near that stop. No. And, um, so anyway, get back to music. Yeah, what's why not? The, what's the last gig you went to? Oh, last gig I went to? Um... What was the last gig I went to? I went to see uh, a band called Architects, who were a metal band from Brighton in yeah. Liverpool uh, at the O2 Academy in Liverpool. And it was the first gig that I went to since COVID. And I've got to tell you, it was absolutely glorious. Yeah, it must like, have been. They, they, could have, they could have turned up and just been rubbish and I wouldn't have even noticed. Like, to be back in a room. Yeah. Because I've, you know, I've grown up playing gigs and going to gigs. That's just that's been always been my thing. Yeah. So to be back in that after COVID, you know, it was a point where they were like, yeah, you had to show your vaccine passport, I think, to get in. But it was yeah. like there was no masks or anything. So you get yeah. in. Like it's like the last two years have never happened. Yeah. Which is just lovely. I, I mean, I, I had, I had a lot of issues with COVID. You know, I lost family members and had a really tough time of it. Oh, so man. to go from that and then just get into that room and think, oh, everything's normal again for a bit now. And to just jump around and you know have a beer and yeah, yeah. I'm into all that sort of like mosh pits and stuff and yeah. throwing yourself. That's me. So like, milk banana, milk banana and stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, proper stuff like that. Yeah, because I went um, to a milk banana like ages ago at the mill, and I've never been to anything like that because I'm not really into that. That kind of music, but it's fucking crazy, that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the crazier the better. The crazier the better. Yeah, but like, my calendars now, I've got a load of like dates in my calendar going, oh, there's a gig happening there. I want to go yeah. to that. I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get back on, back into it now after a yeah. few years of not going. But um, yeah, was that a venue you'd played before? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I played there before. Yeah, it's a good venue. O2 Academy 2 in Liverpool. Oh, um, right. Top place. So when you were, let's go back in time now a bit. When when you were uh, gigging and touring, I mean going to venue venue, did you go all around the country or was it? Yeah, so uh, I um so I raided my parents' savings that they'd saved for me to send me to university. And yeah. I bought a van, <laughs> so I bought I bought a big red X post van and didn't tell them. Uh, and then that all of a sudden they appeared, cool. appeared on the drive outside the house and they were like, what is this? Uh, oh, it's the new tour van. Everyone's paid me back. No one ever paid me back. Paid me back 
Uh, and then it didn't work, and we had to spend another 800 quid getting it fixed. But eventually really? we got it fixed. Yeah, we got it fixed. And then, um, yeah, we went on tour in that van uh, for pretty much on and off, I'd say two years around the UK. We all kind of picked up agency work in between to pay for it. But yeah, we were kind of doing different tours. And then eventually we went across to Europe and did some stuff in Belgium and France. Wow. Which is amazing. Uh, and then yeah we kind of we knocked it on the head in that band at the end of 2008 and then done various bits with other bands since then um, well so you've lived yeah. a life in it <laughs> yeah it was good yeah it's not always as like you were saying before with you know people thinking oh you're a filmmaker everything's yeah. crazy and glamorous it isn't always like that a lot of the time you're sleeping in the car park in a service station and yeah. trying to use the shower along with a load of truckers and yeah. eating like <laughs> you know, we had a little camping stove where we'd heat up like sausage and you know sausage and hoops and stuff and you just yeah. eat that for your, for your dinner so it we wasn't glamorous have, but we loved it we haven't have the uh, all day breakfast in a can <laughs> i never went that far no no, 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 no. no. don't think i'll be here today if i didn't <laughs> and uh, what what was somebody you driving the van yeah oh uh, yeah we had what, one guy one guy was a designated driver unfortunately oh, it wasn't was you then that wasn't me. No. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, I could have a drink most nights. Which yeah, because fun. that that would be a tough job, bro. <laughs> it's a tough job when you've got uh, five other lads in the van taking yeah. the piss out of you. Uh, yeah. We had a few scrapes where we scraped the van down the wall and crashed into cars and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, it was a great, it was a great time. Like, I don't regret any of it. It was. Yeah, awesome. yeah, it sounds amazing. Do, do you do you uh, do you remember someone like the arguments and things like that? Oh yeah! Oh, there was loads. Yeah, usually like about where we we're going to sleep if yeah. someone has sort of broken wind on someone else's because <laughs> we we're that close contact, you know, stuff yeah. like that. It's... I once had a, a you know a policeman knock on the window and wake us up because the van had no MOT, which I didn't know about. <laughs> uh, so there was like lots of testing moments. It... We'd argue over who had the keys. We lost the keys. You know, promoters not paying us the money they should have done. You know, you have a guarantee when you when you're in a band and you because you're expecting a certain amount to pay for your petrol and pay for your food to get you to the next yeah. gig and then they try and stiff you and then you you got got go and get them and go and say no go to the cash machine and pay us. <laughs> yeah. Did you have a, a designated tough man in in the band? You're the point man. <laughs> It wasn't me. That's what no. I'm thinking. It no. can't be you. No, no, I was no, I was the young I was I was the youngest. I, I was the young young skinny one. No, there was a couple of older lads in me that used to yeah. <laughs> But I did all the booking though, so I booked all the gigs and all the tours and stuff. That was my yeah. my role. That sounds so, pretty amazing. It actually helped me out later like when I was like when I'm planning at Granada, it's all about logistics and getting yeah. things in the right place. So that honestly that that um, those skills transferred over. See, you can you can mark it down as like research and like yeah. you know yeah, yeah like, booking agent that was me booking i run my yeah. own booking agency and uh just me yeah, <laughs> yeah. and uh, it screams out to me like some it'd be a good like kind of reality tv kind of show that yeah. it's, uh, it's probably a good sitcom if you yeah. <laughs> if you fancy writing one that's probably what you should yeah. do an, a, an um, unsigned band with no money in a van Oh yeah, uh, going up from that, did you get time to watch the uh, the show on Channel Four about IT, about uh, the Jeremy Kyle show? No, I'm not a chance to watch it. No, oh, no. no apologies. No, 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 no it's no all right. Um, I've seen it. It's kind of kind of interesting, but it's kind of like makes me think how 
how I wonder how re- reality TV has changed now as a result of that. Mm. Because do you think where do you think te- TV will be in like ten years time? Do you think we'll still be doing reality TV as a whole? When you say reality TV, are you talking about the stupid, half-scripted stuff like The Only Way is Essex and Made in Chelsea Yeah, stuff? Uh, and, you know, them holiday camp things and, like, you know, where you where you have supposedly everyday people going on yeah. to TV. I think so. I think the demand will always be there because people want stuff like that to watch when they just, like, want to just chill out on the sofa and they don't want to put their mind into anything. I think there'll always be an audience for it, yeah. I can't say I ever watch it, so I don't know too much about it. I'll, I'll, I know that it brings in money for ITV, put it that way. Yeah, because you've told me a bit about you, I'll tell you something about yeah. me. You know, where, back in the days when Big Brother was, like, cool, when it was on Channel 4, I auditioned for it twice. Did you? Yeah. What, and what? once I got really close, uh, I, and I How just do you feel like that now? Do you do you regret not getting it? Or are you? Like, I'm really happy that I didn't get it. I thought so. <laughs> because, uh, but at the time I was thinking, huh, this goes back to me trying to get a foot in the door. And in my in my weird youthful mind, I I just thought that was <laughs> a good thing. I, I don't think that's weird. I don't think that's weird. I think half the people who go on them are doing it for that that reason. Yeah. Obviously, some people with more sort of honourable. <laughs> uh, intentions and others but I think I think for a lot of people it is it's a foot in the door into the industry isn't it yeah. look at someone like R- Rylan who he went on what was it? he was on X Factor I think wasn't yeah. it you know and look at him now he's like a household presenter so people yeah. do use those shows as a, th- a foot in the door I don't think that's any different although I think if, yeah I think if I was you I'd be glad you didn't get on X yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm telling you here and now that Endemol the company that produces it Endemol Endemol I've got a shitload of information on me. <laughs> you if, know. if you ever get blackmailed, you know who it is. Yeah, some Dutch company. <laughs> you know, because the form was really, really thick. You know, mm. spent the entire day. Three people were with me, and they were all filling out the form, and it was all to do with me. And they're like, "What the hell am I doing?" Kind of thing. <laughs> you know. Because there was this part of you where you thought, oh, that's a good thing. But when you once you start actually doing it, you're like, mm. why am I actually doing it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you yeah that. That, that wouldn't have been for me. I'd have hated it. I'd have hated it. Yeah. And I'll tell you something. You hear all these cliches about all these people, crazy people turning up at these auditions. But that's exactly how it was, you mm. know? Mm. People dressed like they're going clubbing and... People half dressed, people in weird costumes and shit. And this, they want to stand out, don't they? You want to stand out in that yeah. situation. Yeah. But it, yeah. but it wasn't even for X Factor. It was to be on Big Brother. You know, it's like, it's like. And they said to me in one of the auditions, they go, "We had a Shabazz last year. How do you feel? How do you feel about? Well, I was having another Shabazz. I was like." But how many Johns have you had? How many <laughs> how many Helens have you had? I'm yeah. like, that's a weird question to ask me. Such isn't a weird it? thing to say. Yeah. It's like yeah. what are like, you... like it like it's a quota. Like it's a quota. Yeah. Ooh, we've, list. we've had our Asian fair. Guy, we don't we don't need another one. Unbelievable. 
Unbelievable. I tell you what, I'm glad that uh, I didn't get on it. I'll tell you that much. Mm. All right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Before we close, is there anything you want to ask me? Or I wanted to be honest with you. I wanted, I wanted to ask you what you thought of the Oscars. I, I'm really happy that the, uh, the film Coda won. Yeah. But I'm really kind of upset that the the whole slapping uh, situations overshadowed what a moment that is for a film, you know, in a disability perspective. And I just think that is such a shame. And it's um, disability all over, isn't it? It's like you have one good moment that something like this happens and it just... (laughs) That's it in a microcosm, isn't it? It's, Takes yeah, it I, away. it's really sad, really sad. I don't, I don't know what he was thinking, <laughs> but no. it is a shame. And I think if people will still watch the film. I think it will still get out to new. Yeah, but places. it won't get those kind of no. thing pieces head, around it. It didn't, it didn't get the headlines on the, the the day after, did it? That was the problem. No, that, that was the problem. And mm. you know, I know it will still get some recognition, but it feels like the shine has been taken off it. Yeah. Which yeah. is just one of those things, but I just wanted to say that I just think it's a real, real shame. Mm. That Have you seen mean, it? Is it good? I haven't, to be honest, I haven't seen it yet, but I think it's really good. And I will, I will be watching it, not just because it's won the Oscar, but it's mm. meant to be a good story and stuff. But but I'm, I'm just really, uh, it's like a sucker punch, you know? It's like, there's something like this that gets recognised. You can you can have qualms about the the academy and even BAFTA or whatever you want, but the fact is that they're still around, and it is still one of the biggest. And you know, and if it gets recognised like that, and then then something like that happens, mm. see that's where the media. Has a, has a point to play. You see, I know the slapping needs to be covered, but the media can also say, hang on, we're forgetting a historical moment here. Mm. You know? Okay. Yeah. And that comes back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, with producers looking at, right, what's the story everyone's talking about? It's got to be the slap. And that's the problem. That's where people are going to lead on. I know, and you're saying, you know what, let's put the slap to one side and actually focus on what everyone was there for, which is, you know, the awards, the best yeah. film, which was Coda. Yeah, but it just makes me feel like so sorry for those people and so sorry for for the the future disabled people of the world because you can look at it as a watershed moment and that watershed moment has in some way been diminished a little bit. I know, I you agree. Know, not completely because... It's still labelled as the win best film, but still, you know, there's not that whole groundswell of conversation and bringing disabled people into the industry and finally being accepted. It just feels a real, real shame that that this has happened. Mm. And okay, it could have happened, but but the media media could have like if acknowledged it and moved on rather than talking about that situation and talking about it from a race perspective and 
all these other different strands of yeah. it, which which are there, which are relevant, but they don't need to go into it that yeah, that deeply. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. Anyway, I hope this has been useful for for the You're other right. people. Thank you, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Obviously, we've got to know each other a little bit through the work we've done together at ITV, but it's nice just to actually have a proper chat. So thank yeah. you very much for having me. And thank you again from the bottom of my heart. And um, yeah, all that remains for me to say is thank you and bye-bye. <laughs>